This is recording number 10829 from the teaching ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Vallejo, California. This is the 20th message in the outpouring series by Randy Bolt. It was recorded on Sunday morning, August 9th, 2009. This message is titled, Take This Job and Love It. Acts chapter 18, verse 1. After these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth. Remember last week, we talked about Paul preaching in the Areopagus or at Mars Hill in the city of Athens, Greece. And I won't uh, re-preach that message, but you can uh, pick up on where we left off on the map there where that little uh, imaginary uh, pushpin is stuck in the city of Athens there. And he left there and uh, went to Corinth, which was a a major city in Greece at the time, and in the Roman Empire, for that matter. And he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius, who was the emperor, had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome. So really, they were fleeing for their lives from Rome and had uh, Aquila and Priscilla had uh, settled in Corinth. And when Paul showed up there, he came across them. says he came to them. So because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked. So Paul had the same uh, trade as Aquila and Priscilla. We're going to find out that they were both tent makers. And uh, so he stayed with them, and they kind of went into business together and worked together for some measure of time. So he stayed with them and worked, for by occupation they were tent makers. And he reasoned in the synagogues every Sabbath and prepared, excuse me, and persuaded both the Jews and Greeks. Remember last week I told you that Paul's modus operandi when he would come into a city was to go to the synagogue and using the uh, Old Testament or Hebrew scriptures uh, demonstrate that Jesus was the Messiah. So that's what he does here. Every Sabbath day he was in the synagogue preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now... um, Continuing at verse 18. So Paul still remained a good while. Uh, He spent some time there in Corinth. Then he took leave of the brethren and sailed for Syria. And Priscilla and Aquila were with him. He had his hair cut off at Centria. For he had taken a vow. And that was a, I won't go into all that. But it was a symbol of him uh, making a a vow to the Lord. He had had his hair cut off. And uh, then he came to Ephesus. And he left them there. So remember this, that Paul has taken um, along with him Aquila and Priscilla, who were were his uh, uh, workmates in Corinth. He's taken them with him to Ephesus, and then he leaves them there. But he himself entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay a longer time with them, he did not consent, but took leave of them, saying, I must by all means keep this coming feast in Jerusalem, but I will return again to you, God willing. And he sailed from Ephesus, and when he had landed at Caesarea, so you can see he's made quite a a sea journey there from Ephesus all the way to the seaport of of, uh, Israel, uh, Caesarea. When he had landed at Caesarea... 
and gone up and greeted the church. So he went uh, up to Jerusalem. And, and they always, uh, when you read in the scriptures, it's always up to Jerusalem and down to anywhere else. So even though in a minute we're going to talk about him going north, which we would norm- normally say up, he went up to uh, Antioch. You're going to read here that it says down because Jerusalem has a, a bit of an elevation, but uh, just because of the prominence of the city. So he went, he went, uh, he departed, uh, where, where, where did I wait? And he landed, verse 22, at Caesarea and gone up and greeted the church. He went down to Antioch. After he had spent some time there, he departed and uh, then he took Then he went over the region of Galatia and Phrygia in order strengthening all the disciples. So what we've read of now is the conclusion of Paul's second missionary journey and with that verse I left off with, the beginnings of his third. But we'll we'll deal with that another day. Today, I want to talk to you about your job, your employment. Now, some of you are saying right now, I wish I had a job. Um, or some of yours who are perhaps uh, stay-at-home moms or for whatever reason are not employed, moms, stay-at-home moms or dads, uh, or for whatever reason are not employed outside the home, um, I'm not sure what you're saying, but I'll tell you what, there is no tougher job than the one you have, so this applies to you as well. But there was an old country western song called Take This Job and Shove It. How many of you ever heard that? Well, today we're going to talk about Take This Job and Love It. And uh, so if you'll uh, stick with me for the next few minutes, I'm, my prayer is that this place or uh, this environment that you live out uh, so much of your life, your employment occupies, you know, this is a bit of a general sta- a statement, but would, I, I would bet would be true pretty much across the board, your employment uh, uh, encompasses more of your time than nearly anything else. And I am um, convinced that God wants those places of employment to be more than what they are for most of us. And so let's just talk a little bit about that. Because remember uh, uh, Aquila and Priscilla. Now, when Paul meets them in, um, in Corinth, uh, they, it, it doesn't say it for sure, but we, we, would, we would not be uh, out of line to reason that when he encounters them, they are not followers of Christ. They've come from Rome. Uh, there hasn't been a gospel witness in Rome yet. Um, and uh, so Paul is at Corinth preaching the gospel there for the first time. So it wouldn't be... Uh, out of out of uh, the ordinary or out of uh, sync for us with the scriptures for us to to believe that uh, Aquila and Priscilla are not believers when Paul meets them, but they do have one thing in common: their job. You have a believer, non-believers, but the job brings them together. And then watch what happens. 
Aquila and Priscilla, when they follow him to Ephesus and he leaves them there, remember? He writes later to, to, the, uh, city of, to the church in the city of Corinth from Ephesus. And he says, Aquila and Priscilla greet you. Because remember, they, he had lived in Corinth with them. He writes from Ephesus to the Christians now in Corinth. And he says, Priscilla, remember Priscilla and Aquila? They greet you and the church in their home. This has been a huge transformation in this couple's life. From just people who were running from their lives from, from Rome, set up shop, set up their tent making shop in Corinth, meet this guy named Paul, become followers of Christ, uproot, move to Ephesus, and are part of the founding of a major church in, the, uh, in Asia Minor in Ephesus. And it actually meets in their home. And when Paul writes from Ephesus back to Corinth, he says, hey, by the way, Remember Aquila and Priscilla? They're major players now in the kingdom of God. Now then, we could go on and read towards the end, in the latter part of chapter 18 of, of the book of Acts about a guy named Apollos. Now, Apollos was a, um, a powerful evangelist and preacher and a teacher who comes on the scene in the early days of the church and he arrives in Ephesus and the, uh, the latter part of chapter 18 in uh, the book of Acts tells us about how Aquila and Priscilla add to his understanding of the scriptures. So these people who have not long, uh, not, it hasn't been long since they've even been believers, have, have come to such a place of, a, of maturity that they are teaching this guy named Apollos. And then later, uh, when Paul writes to the um, believers in Rome and he says and greet Aquila and Priscilla and the church that meets in their house. So now they've not only been a part of the founding of a powerful church in the city of Ephesus but uh, we don't know the details but they have made their way back to Rome and established a church there that's meeting in their house. And so there's been a tremendous advance of the kingdom of God simply because these people came together over their jobs. You know that the greatest missionary force in the world is Christian employees. (laughs) Because every day we are rubbing shoulders with people who desperately need Jesus for a minimum of eight hours a day. And in those connections, God wants to produce the kind of fruit that we see lived out here in the story of Aquila and Priscilla. I've told you some of this story before, so pardon me again. I've reached that age in my life where I just keep saying, repeating the same stories over and over. I'm that, that old grandpa guy that you, know, you go to see and he doesn't remember what he told you last time, so he just tells you the same stuff over and over. And that's me. But anyway, when I was working for Cisco Systems, I was, we were in the uh, uh, middle of the, you know, the, some of you will remember the technology boom of the uh, late 90s and the very first part of, uh, of the new millennium. And it was a, a crazy, wild, gold rush kind of scene in Silicon Valley. And I used to remember, I mean, I remember measuring my workload by foot of paper in my inbox. I'm, I'm not kidding. My boss would say, how much you got going? I got about a foot and a half, you know. (laughs) 
And we were just, we were just crazy, crazy busy. And this one woman who um, was transferred, she wasn't transferred to our department. It's the oddest thing. She worked for another department, but they transferred her desk and her cubicle to our department. <laughs> so she still worked for them, but they moved her cubicle right outside of mine. And I just thought it was so strange. But I had begun to pray for all of the people that I have had connections with through my job there. And so I added her to my prayer list. One day, uh, her name was Roz, and one day she came into my cube and she said, I heard that you're a minister. And that's because I had been asked to perform the wedding of my, my direct supervisor. And that's another story. But anyway, she heard about that. You know how people talk. <laughs> So she heard about that. She said, I hear you're a minister. And I said, well, yeah, I am. And then she just breaks down sobbing. And I didn't know. I, I, I wasn't sure what I was supposed to do then. You know, they got cameras everywhere in those, in those places. Uh, but she said, would you pray for me? I think I'm having a nervous breakdown. And it was over the, the stresses in, in all of our lives in those days. And I said, well, sure. So I just laid my hands on her and prayed for her. Well, one thing led to another. I I don't have time to tell you the whole story. But she ended up coming to the church that we were planting uh, there in Silicon Valley and gave her life to the Lord. She brought her children. They they came to know the Lord and her husband. In fact, uh, in that church, which we obviously no longer pastor, one of her daughters is still on one of the ministry teams there. She... Um, brought her best friend, Ida, to church. Ida came to know the Lord. She brought her husband. He came to know the Lord. Um, Ida, Ida brought her sister to church. She came to know the Lord. And I'll never forget the day when I dropped by her house. for I was, I was dropping off something to Ida's sister. And uh, she came. She says, Pastor, would you take something away from, from here for me? Uh, well, what do you mean? You, you want me to make a dump run here? Or, or I mean, what, what, what? And she comes out and she's got this huge, I mean, huge uh, portrait of, of a Buddha. And she says, I don't want this in my house anymore. She was uh, uh, Taiwanese. And she, she was a Buddhist. And she said, I don't want this in my house anymore. Um, the lovely story of how the gospel just, you know, like the ripples of the image that we have as our symbol for this study of the outpouring, the gospel advances like that, person to person to person, and lives are changed forever, dear one. And those connections we have on our, through our employment are vital means of connection that God wants to use. And there is nothing, hear me well, there was nothing that will transform how you feel about your job, the knowing God is using you there. No amount of pay raise, no amount of promotion, no amount of pats on the back. I don't know why this comes into my mind. Some of you have heard me say this before, but I used to work for the IRS for a while, for one, one tax season, and I was doing data entry. They had us in a, 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 a windowless building in about, I don't know, five times the size of, of this room. But if you can imagine, just, every, just uh, acreage, <laughs> seem like acreage of people typing away on keyboards, entering uh, tax information from people's uh, tax returns. That's what we were doing. And you had to be measured every night because I worked a night shift. 
You had to be measured every night on speed and on accuracy. So at some point in the evening, you were going to get called back to a supervisor's table, and they were going to review for you a, a computer printout that would tell them how, how you were doing on speed and how you were doing on accuracy. And uh, they would, if you were doing well, they would they'd take a, the computer printout, and they'd take a pen and make a big smiley face on it like that. And you got to where you lived for that, you know. You really li- and uh, but nothing. I don't care how much money they pay you. I don't care, you know, what the title is on the door. I don't care how many windows you have in your office. I don't care how many smiley faces you get on your shift. Nothing will transform how you how you view your your life as an employee or employer. Your life in the marketplace, like coming to see God working in your life. And now I want to ask you to turn to Ephesians chapter 6. And we're going to read about masters and servants. And uh, we are not in a culture where we have uh, masters and servants, so we don't relate to this very well, except our, that our minds will, we won't be able to help it, but our minds will go to the history of slavery in our country and we'll think of all of this that's going to be said in a very negative light. But please don't go there. Remember, this was a culture wherein we did, they didn't have a lot of the safety nets, economic safety nets that many of the countries in the world today have. And so if you reached a point where you were in desperate debt or financial uh, calamity or crisis of some sort, you could sell yourself to, to remedy that. And so that was, uh, that's part of what's being talked about here. But when it uses the term bond servant, it means anybody who is, who is um, uh, under the uh, direction of another person. So that's what we're talking about here. Ephesians 6, verse 5. Bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in sincerity of heart as to Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. And you masters do the same things to them, giving up, threatening, knowing that your own master also is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. So let's just talk about a few things out of this passage that have to do with the transformation of your of how you see your work life. First of all, I want you to note that your job is not about earning a living. Now that may be news to you, but if you're a Christian, your job is not primarily about earning a living. Do we or do we not have a God in heaven who owns the cattle on a thousand hills? Do we or do we not have a Savior who pulled the tax money out of a fish's mouth? Do we or do we not have a God who has promised in Philippians, my God, Paul speaking for God, says, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. The answer is yes, we do have a God who is our provider. You don't need whatever company or person you work for to be your provider. As a believer, our jobs are not primarily about earning a living. 
Neither are they about gaining self-worth. And yet many of us have invested so much of, a, of a, a sense of whether we are okay by whether we get enough smiley faces. Our jobs have become, for many of us, the place where we gain self-worth. But you know, there's really only one basis of true, healthy self-worth. You can't get it from your job. Because someday, there'll be a pink slip in your mailbox there. Someday, your company's going to downsize. Somebody, you know, it's just inevitable that you are going to find... Uh, if you're building your sense of self-worth on anything else, that it will collapse. So there's only one uh, place to build your sense of self-worth, and that is out of your relationship with God, because how He feels about you will never, ever, ever change. So your job is not about gaining self-worth, nor is it about securing your identity. But, you know, we all fall prey to this. Uh, we think of ourselves as a nurse, as a process server, as a, an accountant, as a plumber, as a tow truck driver. You know, we think that's who we, that, we, we will say things like that. That's what I am. I am this. No, you're not. <laughs> no, you're not. You do those jobs and I'm sure you do them well, but you are not that thing. That is not your identity. You are a child of God. That is your identity. So if you're seeking identity from any other source, it's going to come short. Your job is none of those things. Your job is, however, a growth environment. Now, we don't like this often, especially when things are not going well at work. Or you get, you know, laid off or you get transferred. My wife is going through this because she's worked for Kaiser for three years. And every single year so far, she's had to undergo a major um, transition uh, to a different department or a different boss. And she, just about the time she starts to learn the ropes of her new job, they transfer her. And it's very discouraging to her. And so when we're going through things like that or feeling like we're not... uh, being recognized enough or not paid as, as much as the other guy who does the same job I do or, you know, has been passed over for a promotion. When we're going through things like that, we tend to just grumble and complain and feel bad about it. But I want you to recognize that none of that happens apart from the fact that the God who loves you more than you'll ever know allows it to happen. I didn't say he causes it, but he allows, he allows it to happen because he has placed you in that environment to cause you to grow. And every, you cannot grow in your faith, in, in maturity, in any area of life unless there is some form of resistance. You cannot. If you want to get stronger, you don't just say, get strong. <laughs> Or like, you know, Popeye, eat a can of spinach. It doesn't happen that way. What do you have to do? You have to challenge yourself with some form of resistance. Whether it's the weight of a barbell or whatever it is, you have to challenge the muscles of your body with some form of resistance. Otherwise, there is no growth. 
And that is true in the kingdom of God. If you want to be a mature person, not to mention a mature and vital and vibrant part of God's family, you are going to have to encounter the challenges and adversities that come when people are thrown together in, in tense and uh, intense circumstances, like the kind of stuff that happens at work when you're trying to you know, get along with somebody you can't stand to do a job or you know, all of that stuff that happens doesn't happen by chance you know, without God's understanding or knowledge or um, uh, allowing it to because he is going to use it to cause you to grow. So it's a growth environment. Uh, it's also a ministry assignment. You've heard me say this already this morning, so I won't dwell on it. But the Lord has placed you where you are. Now, you, may, you can go through all this stuff in your head about, well, no, I didn't even know the Lord when I started in this career. Or I didn't even know the Lord when I, 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 I took this job because it was the best paying. Or I took this job because it's you know, the only one I could get. Or I took this job because it was a city I wanted to live in. Whatever, whatever you want to say about it, the day you surrendered your life to Christ, you came with your employment. You surrendered that to him as well. And he became committed to you in that place. Now that doesn't mean it isn't going to change. Before whatever point it, it was you encountered him at that point that became his will for you. And it became a ministry assignment. The people that you rub shoulders with and interact with are people he desperately loves. And you are his missionary there. I don't know. I guess some of you here wear uniforms for the, for the kind of work that you do. It may be that you wear a particular uniform in your, the carrying out of your job or you know, something that would identify you. If I saw you on the street dressed in your uh, work clothes, I would know what you do. Maybe it has the name of the company on it. Maybe it's just like, like uh, I don't know surgical scrubs or whatever, but I would see you and I'd know what you do by the way that you're, you're clothed. But you know what? As a believer, it's only a disguise. That's not who you are. I've already said that. God has taken you a full-time minister Every follower of Christ is intended by God to be a full-time minister. You are a full-time minister disguised as whatever it is you do. Because God wants to reach people through you. If we're going to do that, then we've got to pay attention uh, to what we read about here in uh, Ephesians chapter 6 beginning at verse 5 where it says, Bond servants be obedient. Bond servants be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh. These are the characteristics of a marketplace Christian. First, submission. Americans hate this word. We hate this word. But it is such a godly word. You know, God is not an American. It's a godly word. It's not about 
allowing yourself to be trampled on or become somebody's doormat. It's not about that. It's about recognizing that there's somebody greater in charge and I can submit to whatever authority he's placed over me because ultimately that flows back to him and he ultimately is the one I'm trusting. So we submit to one another in marriage. We submit to those God has placed in authority over us, whether they are law enforcement, whether they are employers, because we are ultimately submitting to him. So that means you don't go around as a, as a believer, you're going to do damage to your testimony if you go around with a chip on your shoulder all the time. What gives you the right to boss me around? You don't know anything. You're doing damage to the testimony of faith that God placed you there to represent when you behave that way. Submit to God through whatever, whatever other forms of leadership or uh, authority that he's placed you under. It goes on to say, um, do so with fear, which means um, reverence and trembling, also has to do with kind of a humility. And this is another thing that we ju- just does not, does not uh, seem to fit in most employment situations. But believers in Jesus are cutting a path against the grain. Now, everybody else there where you work may carry on an ongoing dialogue about how bad management is and how they don't know anything and how they need to straighten this out and stop doing that and whatever. But believers, we're not stupid. We don't, uh, we don't just go along with every oil and anything that, that comes down the pike. But we, we do not give place to disrespect either. We do not give place to a lack of humility Ever, because we belong to Christ and the testimony of the gospel is at stake. It goes on to say that we do this in sincerity of heart. And notice what it says, not with um, eye service as men pleasers. You know what it's like, you know, you're, you're gossiping to your, your uh, the person sits on the other side of the cube from you about, you know, what a what a, a, a creep your boss is and then he or she walks by and you go, hi! Right? The old kiss-up routine and all that. No, I mean, in the kingdom of God, believers in the marketplace, we behave this way out of sincerity of heart, not as men-pleasers, not as looking for just to gain points with our employers. Uh, and we do so as bond, ultimately bond servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. And I've already said this, but let me just underscore it again that we are people who are serving out of integrity, out of integrity, where all the areas of my life are integrated. There's not, I don't have my... Christian or religious life, my church life, and then over here I have my work life, and over here I have my home life, and over here I have my recreation life. As a believer, we're called to be, have all of the areas of our life integrated into one. 
so that what I say and do and believe and am at church is what I say, do, believe and am at home, at work, wherever I am. Not with thy service as men pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. We are there to serve Him. Uh, our marketplace assignment is ministry. It says that we do this in verse 7 with goodwill. Goodwill. Now, it's one thing when you're uh, given an assignment that you don't want to grumble and complain, but do it. It's another thing to take that assignment and do it with a willing heart. A willing heart. And when, where God is concerned, almost everything is about your heart. You might as well, if your heart isn't in it, you might, I mean, I'm a little tongue-in-cheek here, but you might as well not do it because it isn't going to count for God. It's kind of like when you give, you know, when, when we invite you to give your tithes and offerings to the Lord. I say this on occasion, but it's been a while, so I'll say it again. When that offering bag comes by, if you can't place that whatever it is gift that you want in into the offering with a willing, joyful heart, please don't. Don't give it. Go out to lunch afterwards. Be free. Buy a burger. Because it won't count. It won't count. The Bible says God loves a cheerful giver. The things about the kingdom of God are always related to our heart. So it comes back to having a willingness. Just two more things. I'm going to let you go. Uh, So verse 7. With goodwill doing service as to the Lord and not to men. You know, you are not responsible, uh, dear one, for your livelihood. I've already said this morning that your job is not about earning a living. But there are lots and lots of people who are keeping score. And they think it's their responsibility to make sure they get every dime coming to them. Because they have to. They are the arbiters of their future. And they have to. Who else is going to do it? Who else is going to stand for me? Um, But as Christians, we live by faith. We live by faith. And I'm not saying you never ask for a raise. Or I'm I'm not saying you never, you know, bring that subject up or or. Take appropriate actions, but don't, you don't want, trust me, you don't want the burden of having to be your own provider. Let God do that. Let God do that. So, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, you can trust him. He will provide for you. And then finally, he, he addresses masters or employers or supervisors or people who are involved in the marketplace overseeing other people in verse 9. And he says, and you masters, do the same to them. So everything that we've just talked about, that's true for you too. And he says, giving up threatening. You know, uh, sadly... In most workplace environments, the leverage that is used to get jobs done is threatening. 
It's the threat of losing your job. It's the threat of being promoted. It's the threat of being ostracized. There's all kinds of threats that fill the environment and poison the environment of most workplaces. I believe that since God has us in those places so that we can represent him there and see people's lives transformed for eternity, I believe God would also want to use us to change that environment. What a difference we could make if we could just address that one issue. What if when you went to work every day, that cloud of threat didn't hang over you? How different life would be. Well, you know what? You and I can help make a difference with that. And just do exactly what Paul says here. Give it up. Don't be a party to it. Don't promote it. When it comes your way, don't pass it on. When you have the opportunity to oversee or supervise other people, don't play that game. So you see, I believe that God wants to radically alter the way we view our work life. And some of these things will apply to you, some will not, but there in this mix of stuff we've talked about today, there is something I believe God will want to drive home for you because he wants you to know the, the, the joy, the blessing of seeing that place you give so, or that responsibility or that task that you give so much of your life to not just be about earning a living or any of the other things we talked about today, but about being an assignment from God.